Hello and welcome back to the Fitness Fee podcast. I'm Fee and this episode is a little bit different from what we normally have and it's a pre-recording of a live chat that I did um, with one of my fellow James Smith Academy coaches and it's Steve. He works on the trainer program side of things and he has a huge wealth of knowledge all about resistance training, whether you're training at home or whether you're training in a gym. Um, We had a lot of questions that were asked by members and they were all common questions that come up time and time again from people who are strength training, maybe just getting into strength training um, and want to have a little bit more understanding about how you can get the best out of your workouts with what you have got available, whether that is going into a commercial gym or a few pieces of kit at home. So jump on this episode, have a listen. I am absolutely sure that you will be able to take away some interesting tips and tricks. Now I am here with Steve, who is one of our main trainers on JSA. Hi, Steve. How are you? Good evening, guys. Good morning, Aussies, if you're brave enough to um, get up in time. So one that a lot of people um, talked about was progressive overload. And this is obviously something that comes up time and time again, probably for you guys and for us in chat as well. So Mm -hmm. can you uh, give us an explanation of what progressive overload is, Steve? I I think the best way to explain progressive overload in about 500 BC and his preparation... Every morning, he carried a calf up to the top of a mountain. And as he'd done it every single day, the calf grew bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where he was carrying an entire cow, like hundreds of kilos up a hill. And that is progressive overload. It is progressively introducing the body to more and more stimulus. As your body adapts, you get bigger and you get stronger. The way that we do it now is obviously within a gym environment so the aim is to every single week if possible try and overload the muscles to more stress through either increased load or increased volume the reps or even through a slower tempo for example and this enables the body to change um and yeah as i said that allows your muscles to get bigger to get stronger and your whole body to evolve but that is progressive overload and i know we had a few questions i think about how to do that within the context of home training Mm-hmm. as yeah. well um so within that context obviously what people think about a lot when they think about progressive overload is the the weight but you can also overload with like i said before the reps and the tempo of the movement so if you're capped at a certain weight at home if you've only got a 12 kilo dumbbell then you can push that set into 30 reps yeah to a great effect as well so if you start off on week one doing 20 reps week do week two doing 24 reps and week three doing 26 reps you've still progressively overloaded the muscle and you'll still get the training adaptation the training benefits that come with that yeah so i think that's an important thing to consider and also just the tempo of the movement if you're just going up and down at the same tempo for a squat that's very different from going control down and explosive up control down and explosive up so you can also manipulate the repetition simply by just by slowing down that lowering phase and being nice and explosive through that concentric that shortening that shortening phase so those are two levers you can pull with for training at home and you've only got light weights you can increase the reps or you can just slow down the tempo of the movement 
Um, and both of them will allow for progressive overload just in slightly different ways to overload him with just the weight. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, pulses and things like that are also good, aren't they? When you're limited yeah. to um, to kick. Yeah, just um, just keeping the time under tension for that little bit longer and not locking out at the top. So at the top of every rep, just going straight back into the next one, straight back into the next one. Because whilst yeah. you're at the top, you're kind of passively resting a little bit as well. Yeah, I think people underestimate how... Um... I've just seen Jack come on. Sorry. Jack's just come on Facebook and said, Steve, take your top off. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that's why he was signing in, actually. He probably messaged me. He wasn't going to turn up unless I did. <laughs> um, yeah, I think people underestimate like the the tempo and the pauses. Um that what that can add to to your to your move, say for like you were talking about a squat. Um, I know recently I did with my PT a squat with the same weight as what I was doing normally, but we did like a, a pause at the bottom with a quarter rep. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that yeah. is just incredibly hard. Um, yeah. And it's it's just amazing by just doing the same move slightly different, how much harder it can make it. A hundred percent. Yeah, and going back to that Milo and the, the cow analogy, all you're doing is increase by increasing the reps you're keeping the size of the cow the same, but you're just increasing the height of the hill. So you're doing more and more of the hill with the static weight. Mm -hmm. And that will, like I said, that will evolve the body just as much as going a little bit heavier. So don't be, don't be demotivated by training at home. There are always ways to manipulate every single set and make it more and more challenging. The tough thing with that is, is just monitoring it because monitoring load and reps is, easy you write down two numbers but monitoring tempo you have to be a little bit more disciplined you have to be able to almost count your way through the rep mm -hmm. in your head so you go yeah. two one one two one one and just being disciplined of that it's hard and especially as you get to rep 20 the last thing you want to do is go slow through the lowering phase you want to go just get to number 30 for example yeah. you've got to be you've got to be disciplined with all those different parameters yeah Cool. All right. So that's um. I think that was um. Yeah. So Rhonda said about I'm upping the weights to challenge myself, but my reps are lower, and I'm wondering if I'm doing it properly. That's yeah about progressive overload again. Yeah. Be careful with that as well because you need, like I said before, you need all the parameters to be the same. You need you need the reps, the tempo, and the rest to be the same. If you're lowering the reps just to increase the weight. Then you have you've kind of violated that what that rule. If you're doing 12 reps of 100 kilos, and then next week you do eight reps of 110, although you're doing a heavier weight, you are doing less reps. You've got less mm -hmm. time under tension. So try to stick to the number of reps that we set and the rest period, and just try and manipulate the load if you have that option, rather than dropping the reps week to week just so you can, you can increase the load. Yeah, well, because if overall, then if your overall load hasn't increased, if you've dropped the wet reps, if you look. Yeah, at yeah, exactly. So if you think of the total tonnage, so if you do 10 reps of 100 kilos, that's a thousand reps in terms of, uh, sorry, a thousand kilos in terms of tonnage for that set. Mm. And if you do 110 kilos for eight reps, you've actually done less tonnage. You've, yeah. you've done less workload. Mm. So you actually have a detraining effect if you do too much of that. So try and think about it in that way. It takes time as well. Like you can't expect for these to evolve week in, week out. 
But yeah. if you zoom out and look at it from month to month perspective, then that's where you should should see the trend line ticking yeah. upward. That's that's another question that comes up a lot in chat is like, you know, some people expect to be increasing their weights every single week. Yeah, so like I wish. Every week they, they go in and like, yeah. you know, they lifted five kilos on a bicep curl. The next week they're like, right, okay, I'm going to lift six kilos this week. Well, yes, especially with isolation exercises because with an isolation exercise like the bicep, we're dealing with such a small cross-sectional amount of muscle tissue. I mean, there's only so much capacity you can have to evolve. When you're looking at a back squat and you're using so much musculature across the body, um, you have a lot more capacity to get bigger and stronger. But when you're doing isolation exercises, these ones take a lot of time to even come on by like a kilo. So like lateral, a lateral dumbbell raise. Mm. If you can eke out one, two kilos in that lift across the course of a year, then you've done very well. Mm. I think, yeah, people underestimate it, don't they? Especially yeah. like the, the smaller, you know, people would say, especially yeah, the, yeah, the lateral yeah. raises. Yeah. I mean, they're killers, aren't they? And people are like, yeah. well, I can only lift fight three kilos and like i can't get any higher than that in such a way. small muscle such a small muscle group there's not much scope it's not like a back squat it's not like a deadlift it's not like a bench press we are dealing with massive massive muscle groups that mm. can all evolve and there's a lot more capacity to improve week on week or month on month of those yeah 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 um right somebody right okay oh this is a good one from sarah says how important is the rest period from a workout Coming from a more of a CrossFit background, I tend to skip the rests because I feel that I don't need them. Maybe I should be increasing the weight more. This is a great question. Um, so CrossFit in this example is just a proxy for endurance training. So basically I'm saying this person might be moving more from an endurance kind of background and more towards a strength and hypertrophy um, session. And with endurance training, you tend to derive your intensity more from your heart rate and implicitly, like how much you sweat and the kind of the different training variables. Basically, your heart rate determines the kind of session quality. Whereas with strength and hypertrophy training, we're looking more at the logbook and increasing the load and the tonnage, like we just said, mm. over the course of time. So with that in mind, you need to be able to recover between sets just so you can lift more weight if you go from set to set to set eventually you have a bit of an oxygen deprivation going on there somewhere mm. and that could compromise how much you can lift in your subsequent sets um that's particularly true if you're going literally from doing 12 squats to 12 squats to 12 squats i mean we want people training to the point where they have one or two reps in reserve mm. but if you're going from doing one set of squats to the next set that means you've got 12 reps in reserve ultimately yeah. um but there's no issue with training in that kind of crossfit manner it's more of a metabolic session it's good for the aerobic system etc but we can program you sessions that are more optimized towards that way of training if that is your training goal but if your training goal is um strength and hypertrophy you need the rest period just so you can keep exerting force set to set to set because otherwise you'll just be low on oxygen and it won't be possible yeah so when so when people say um you know well i i don't need uh, a minute and a half rest between each set like i don't mm. i feel like i'm ready after 30 seconds to go again yeah yeah what would your answer be that they're not lifting enough that they're yeah know, a little yeah I, I would say you're probably going closer to um 
eight to six reps in reserve than one to two reps in reserve. Like I cherish my rest a lot. Um, I really need it. I mean, I, there's no way I could go from doing 12 reps on the back squat to within 30 seconds doing another. That would be, be my heart would probably explode. So it's just, it's training in a different way. And that in itself can be a transition if you're moving from an endurance background more and towards a strength and hypertrophy back, background. But again, if your end goal is to kind of get better at CrossFit or kind of improve your aerobic capacity, then we can program in that way. If that's the way you enjoy training, then yeah, make it known to the coaches and we can um, we can make changes to your programming to reflect that. Mm. But if you want to train to get bigger and stronger and um, one and a half minutes rest, feels that too long, then I would probably say that maybe you're not getting into those sets quite hard enough and you're leaving a little bit too much in reserve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so obviously it depends on your goal, but ideally if, yeah. if you're working to the programme and it's got a rest period for a minute or a minute and a half yeah, yeah. There because of the way that the programme has been designed mm-hmm. and what you should be working towards. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean some, some strength athletes will rest between eight to ten minutes between yeah. sets because i mean your your atp pc system takes about five to six minutes to replenish mm. i mean that on just on that basis alone strength athletes will take a significant amount of time with hyper hypertrophy training and muscle growth you don't need to take quite as long but 90 90 seconds on the big compound movements is probably on the lower end of rest periods yeah yeah, and that when you're saying big compound moves, you're talking about like deadlifts. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, like ones that use a lot of muscle groups, so like the squats, the deadlifts, the, the presses. Mm. Yeah, with the isolation work, we tend to go for more forty-five seconds to sixty seconds. So, like a bicep curl, the oxygen demand uh, it just isn't as high. You can recover a little bit quicker, and you can be more efficient with your time. Mm, yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Next one. Um, right. Pros and cons of splitting training days i like leg days upper days um yeah. yeah just just talk us through that one and then i'll i'll go like someone says is it more beneficial to split up training days now i know that we tend to train uh, set the programs for a lot of full body days yeah. unless somebody yeah. specifically asks for a certain program so what's the the pros and cons for those well, I, do, I mean, the, the big one is your your availability, right? And your training time. If you can go, if you can, if you've got enough time to go in the gym and train your delts and then go into the gym and train your arms and then go into the gym and train your quads, then we might be able to work something out. But that's going to be like a, it's, it's quite inefficient. That's going to be like a 10 session split per week. Because what we want, we want you to train every muscle group twice a week because research finds that to be, more in the optimal range than once a week so that would be a factor um i mean all of this was born out of arnold's era when those guys were going to the gym like mm. 10 times a week and doing as i was saying going and training quads going back in the evening training arms um for most people for nine to five from family and busy lifestyles four sessions a week is tends to be the upper limit mm. but it's also really effective i mean four times a week's plenty four times a week if we use the splits that we use, the anterior, posterior, the upper, lower. Still allows you to train every muscle group twice a week and still allows you to get 10 to 20 sets in per muscle group for the prime movers. So, And that's optimal. Mm. So you've just been a lot more efficient with your time. You're not risking overtraining, which can happen if you start going down the muscle group split route. 
you might end up, you get tendonitis in the elbows or knees, for example. Mm. And you had those issues of with the overtraining side of things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, that muscle grip split stuff was kind of born out of the 70s bodybuilding generation where they could go 10 times a week. They had the assistance of pharmaceuticals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, muscle protein synthesis was just through the roof all the time. You can get away with doing a lot of stuff when you've got that kind of assistance going on. Yeah. But the, training four times a week tends to be optimal and trying to, um, within that, train every muscle group twice a week. 10 to 20 working sets, and that will um, that allow you to recover well and just improve week to week. Yeah, cool. Um, okay, yeah, the person who was saying is that they are actually, uh, it was Emma, and she was currently injured. So she's yeah. mainly training her upper. Um, yeah. So- I did see that, actually. Yeah, be careful of doing that, because, I mean, if you if you suddenly can't train legs, I understand where the, te- the temptation comes from, because it's like, oh, I've got this free training time. I can just double down on my upper body. But then I've seen it before a, a lot. You start doing a lot more pulls, a lot more presses, golfer's elbow, tennis elbow, rotator cuff tendonitis. You suddenly go from doing 15 to 20 working sets a week to 30 to 40, and you just get all these problems that creep in. Mm. And I think that a lot of that incremental volume tends to just be junk volume because the intensity starts to dip as you yeah. can't recover enough and then you just put in the body and the, and the joints through force with very little benefit on the other side yeah. so i would prefer it if you used if you had if you're working with physio use that additional training time for rehab on the current injury um and try not to be tempted to kind of fill that training time with more upper body work for that reason if you feel like you can get another session or a few more sets in um you can drop us a line and we can have that conversation maybe get one more mini session in and try that but i'd rather scale it quite slowly than be like oh here we go let's do four upper body sessions in the space of seven days it's just yeah a lot for the body to recover from you might do it for a week you might get away with it for two weeks but then as the weeks go by I've had it before, yeah, and tendonitis sucks. It can last for yeah, six, six, mu- six months yeah. plus, and it's so uh, hard to get rid of. And then you might have a lower body injury, then suddenly you've got an upper body chronic injury, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not – I had tennis elbow for, like, well over a year, and it's uh, mm. it's not nice at all. It's, uh, yeah, I had golfer's elbow for nearly two. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, not pleasant. Okay, another question we got is, what are drop sets? Mm. So a drop set is where you're – Within one set, you go from one load to then a lower load. So you, you might be on a leg press on 100 kilos for eight reps. You take the pin out, put the pin into 80, and then you get four more reps out with 80. So basically, you're dropping the load as you move through the set. Um, it's easy to do with machines and pin-loaded machines in particular, especially if you're training by yourself, because otherwise, if you're doing it, with free weights, you've got to rack the weight, you've got to strip the load, you've got to put the load back on. Before you know it, 30 seconds has gone by, and it's kind of like, mm. it's not really a drop set. It's more of like a rest pause set. Mm. Um, so it, it's it's better to do with like a pin-loaded machine where you can just pop the pin out, whack the pin into a lower load, and then go again. When you'd use it, maybe if you hit a plateau, so say on your leg press, if you were just stuck at 100 for 12 and you wanted to go up, 
then you can maybe start at 120. You could do eight reps and then you could take the pin out and put the pin back into 100 and finish the set with four more. So that'd be a good method um, for using that. And eventually you'll, you'll start to close the gap. So then the next session you come along, you might do 120 for nine reps, then three reps of 100, then you might do 120 for 10 reps and then two reps of 100. And before you know it, you're at 120 for 12. So if you were a plateau with a pin loaded machine, it can be quite a useful method to help there. Mm. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't start going down that route until you've had like a substantially long plateau. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. We had, oh yeah. So we, you mentioned that about progressive overload at home. Right. Uh, here's one. Um, I, re I really struggle. This is from Samantha getting a flat back, not rounded in bent over rows. I've tried lots of different ways. Please help. Mm. Yeah. Video speaks a thousand words for this. So first thing, just, um, fire that over in the, um, in the group, in the support chat. And you can point program coaches over and you guys will obviously have a look as well. And we can all give feedback. It's usually one of three things. It's either the technique and cueing, which with a hip hinge tends to be the primary reason. If you're not light on the knees and then you send your hips back to go down into that hip hinge, then you've just got basically all movements coming at the hip. Mm. And eventually the hamstrings will just, they won't give you any more range and then you'll start borrowing range from the next joint up, which will be the lower back and that will start rounding. So take your knees off of lock, send the hips back to create your hip hinge. And then once you've got between 45 to 60 degrees from the upright position, then you're set for your row. Mm. So that's, um, that'll be the first thing. That's usually the case I find in my one-to-one -one clients. Um, the second thing is um, stability of the core. So the bent over row is a unique movement in that you're, you're holding a hip hinge isometrically for quite a long period of time. There's no other exercise that's quite like that. Most of the time you're visiting on like a deadlift and you're out and you're visiting and you're out. So with a bent over row, you need to have strength endurance all the way through the midsection, so the obliques, your abdominals, and all the way into lower back as well. So, the best exercise I find for that are side planks, bird dogs, and some sort of hollow hollow hold, and working through those three quite regularly. We tend to get those and other core exercises into the training programs anyway, mm. but you can get away with working through those three for a couple of sets every couple of days, and over time just building up core st stabilization, core stiffness, which will have massive carryover to not only the bent over rows, but all of those bigger compound lifts like the back squats and the deadlifts yeah. um and then the third one which i tend to, which tends to be the least likely is just having tight hamstrings yeah so i mean as you because where the hamstrings insert into the pelvis as you kind of go down into that and if you run out of mobility at the hips then that'll just start to pull on the pelvis and then that'll round your back in that fashion anyway mm. but I, I tend to find it's more um it's more of a cueing um, problem. So just being light on the knees, sending the hips back, keeping tight through the core, and then that's your position. Take the load down a little bit and send us over a video from the side, and that will um, that will speak a thousand words. Yeah.
Cool. All right. I think there's some uh, really good tips there. Uh, I am just going to mention this one that somebody's come out. Um, Scott Wiggins, um, you'll probably know, is a yeah. lifelong member. Uh, hi, Scott. Yeah. Uh, his question is, he's been stuck on 65 on the bench press four months, he says. What is the best way to try and progress? Four months on the bench. Um, triceps. Um Working a lot more tricep volume into training, so borrowing some of your current volume from somewhere and shifting it over to the triceps does massive carry over to the bench. Um, for me and a lot of clients that I've worked with, so things like the JM press, which is like a modified skull crusher, um, close grip pressing from the floor with dumbbells, floor pressing has huge carryover. Um, it depends where you're weakest on the bench. People tend to be weakest more off the chest rather than lockout, but that can be different from person to person. Um, if you're weaker on the lockout, so if you can get off the chest and then you struggle to kind of lock out the top, then just getting stronger in floor press. So a floor press is just taking out the, out the rack, mm. coming down to your elbows, hit the floor. So it's like a reduced range of motion and just getting a bit stronger through that range has massive carryover to the bench. Bench press also massively correlates the body weight, i got to say, as well. So, like, the, the heavier I get, the bigger my bench gets. Yeah. I mean, uh, th th there's quite a bit of that with these. So if you've recently gone through, like, a sustained calorie deficit and you lost a bit of weight, you will natch. I mean, if you can hold on to your bench press weight during that time, then you've done well, frankly. But typically, okay. you do see a little bit of a drop in in those lifts but especially the bench okay cool that's interesting um i've got another one from david on facebook he says any tips for avoiding doms um or if it happens how to get rid of it obviously this is something that we come across in chat all the time yeah uh, delayed onset muscle soreness for those that don't know what it means so it's that that kind of muscle pain ache can vary can be pretty horrific actually mm, um yeah some at times um particularly if you're doing a new exercise that you haven't maybe done before yeah and you might underestimate the weight that you do think yeah it feels all right and then the next day you literally are in pain and agony can't walk or such like i think we've all been there <laughs> yeah no 100 percent um yeah, it's just finding the right volume. If you've had a bit of a hiatus from training and then you start back and the, the volume is just a little bit too high, then that can kind of, yeah, that can create that. Um, once you, I mean, the good news is it doesn't last long. Once you get into that cycle of consistency within two weeks, you kind of wonder where the soreness, is, where the soreness has gone. And then, I don't know, you, you might even start to miss it. <laughs> um but for this but for this next two weeks the key is just keep moving i find so you want to dilate the blood vessels as much as possible so blood flow can keep flow moving across the body as easy as possible to flush out all those byproducts and walk in um a hot bath or sauna um these kind of things things that dilate the blood vessels um tend to be the best things and that will so don't rush the amount of time you it takes to get into the next session as well if you need to take longer than seven days to get however many sessions you have in your log in that's fine you can extend it and get if you have four sessions get four in in 10 days yeah. and then 
as, as you move through the sessions, you're that better, better and better and better to the point where you'll be doing four and seven in a couple of weeks anyway. Yeah, because a question that we get asked quite a lot is like, you know, I've got horrific DOMS. Should I yeah. like go and do another session? I'm yeah, no, no, don't worry. The pain yeah, me. yeah, no, go for a walk and hot bar and just, yeah, let the body just calm down um, and then get back into it. Your sessions will be far better than trying to um, going back and training legs again when they're sore. Because that yeah. can be quite that can be debilitating. It probably increases injury risk a little bit as well, to be honest. Yeah, and it's also you know another question that obviously gets asked is like, is that is once people kind of get into their programs and they're saying like, I don't know, week three or four, and they're like, well, I'm doing it and I'm not getting doms anymore. Does this mean I'm not yeah. working effectively because I'm not that's, getting muscle? That's the holy. That's the holy grail. That means you can train more. You can throw more volume <laughs> at the body, better results. And then you do, you start to miss it, but then you'll do something completely novel and they'll be back. So I went for about a 12-mile walk over the weekend and I haven't done that in a long time, up and down hills. And my legs were really, really sore. And that, just because it was so novel, it was so new. My body was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. A load of byproducts must have built up in, um, in the leg muscles. And yeah. Yeah. Like I've been weight training for so long now. I struggle to get the doms from um, from the weights, but I yeah. get it from different things. I'll get it from walking. I'll get it from running. But because I'm so adapted to the weights, I won't get it so much from that. Yeah, it's usually when you do something a bit different and a bit new, is yeah. it? You, you tend to experience them. Uh, right. I'm I think just... we've got one more question. I think um, I should have a refresh. It says, right. I'm. This is from Claire. I'm with JSA predominantly for fat loss, but I'm thinking longer term about my health. I have a mm -hmm. family history of knee replacement replacements. Mum, auntie, uncle. Are there access exercises you could can do or shouldn't do for strengthening knees? Now, this is um, something that we come across, and I'm sure you do. Is that um, and I mean, I, I've always come across it in my whole like fitness career is when people have problems with their knees, they have weak knees, they have bad knees, they have wonky knees that they tend to steer away from anything that's yeah. focused like on squats or deadlifts or any yeah. kind of exercise that involves bending yeah. because they feel that it's going to be bad for I them, going to make it worse, etc. Yeah. So what would you yeah. like people to do? I would say pick exercises that are initially stable and ones that you can potentially manipulate the range of motion on as well. So like don't go in and do like um, a barbell a Bulgarian split squat, for example. Don't do that as your first one because there's no it takes a lot of stability and it's it's going to set your knee off of centre. With the knee, you it kind it's kind of like a train on the track, the patella. You want it to run straight down the middle. So pick exercises such as a leg press, like a vertical, so not a vertical, a horizontal leg press, where you can manipulate the range of motions. You don't have to go super deep into the rep initially. You can just go to just before parallel. And it's a stable position to be in because it's a machine. You don't have to kind of use all your stabilizer muscles to kind of position your hips to set the knee right. So that makes it a little bit easier. Um, and you can manipulate the range of motion as well with just like a freestanding squat. You can squat down to a bench, maybe just above parallel again, and then come back up. Just doing body weight initially. I mean, the same applies here. It's all progressive overload. It's just the difference being is you want to make sure you're doing it in a really stable fashion. So picking machines and body weight exercises initially. And then you may, I mean, I'm not a physio, so, so I have to say as a disclaimer, but you might, you tend to find that your knee pain will probably improve 
quite a bit once he tightened up the quads because that's what pulls the patella into place and kind of gives the knee structure all the quads that run down it so once they get stronger um they will have probably pretty good carryover to knee pain so yeah machines so leg extensions leg press and body weight um squats and then progressing from there but you can live there for a while and just load those movements and get stronger and stronger and stronger I really, obviously high impact cardio is a no-no so like no running sprinting jumping etc there's no need um especially in cases like that so you can favor like the cross trainer the exercise bike as your methods for cardio if you want to develop the aerobic system as well mm. i think the cross trainer is so underrated Oh yeah, cross trainer is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's so underrated because it gives you that kind of upright walking position, but it takes all the load out of the equation and you can manipulate the intensity as well. Yeah, and you were you using your upper body or you can choose not to use your upper mm-hmm. body as well, can't you? So you've it's like yeah. kind of like multifunctional, isn't it? Um, well, that was all the questions that we had. If anybody else wants to put a question on the live feed, then I can see those as well. Um I'm just going to go over a couple of things that I know that we come across um, quite often in chat and stuff. And obviously the trainers do as well. And that is that the way that some of the programs are designed and the majority of them are designed for four weeks. So when you get them in the Mm -hmm. app, they're set to four weeks. Um, But we as coaches in the chat obviously encourage people to do them for a bit longer. Yeah. if you want to like say say your bit about it as well and why why we say these things to the people just yeah. so understand like the way the system kind of works. So some I mean firstly it can take a while to get acclimatized to the movement, right? It can be a couple of weeks. We give you a totally new movement and it can take you two or three weeks before you're really up and running with the kind of load you want to be using because it's the first two weeks you've been kind of like figuring out what the right load is, where to position the body, et cetera, et cetera. So there's kind of like a, a motor learning component to new exercises. So you have to factor that in. And also it, take, it just takes a while before you really hit a plateau. I mean, I've had programs before that I've ran for like 20 week blocks, the same one, just because for more than 50% of the lifts, I wasn't plateauing. So I didn't, there's no point breaking a winning system. Because as we said before, what we're really striving for with a lot of a lot of these goals within the gym is just to be able to pro- progressively overload these lifts and these muscles week in, week out. And that takes consistency. Um, four weeks would be like the lowest possible limit for that. If you really were keen on just training variation, if that's something you enjoy and that's what keeps you training, then that's fine. Four weeks would be that lower limit. But yeah, I mean, you can get a lot out of week six to week eight. I mean, that's usually when you get some of your best lifts in, because like Mm -hmm. I said, you're used to the movement, you're used to the rep scheme. And um, yeah, you can start to peak, start peaking during those, those weeks within a block. Yeah. Yeah. So that option is obviously there on the app. If you, if anybody's um, there and doesn't know, you can easily go into the program when the trainers give it to you. And you can, there is the option to actually extend it, I think to 12 weeks if you want um, yeah. so yeah. you know that option is is always there for you um, and that's the reason why we suggest that you do it for at least six weeks before requesting uh, a new one um, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about uh, Steve that you guys come across on your side 
No, I think we covered we covered the big one. I mean, the big ones are similar to you guys. The kind of why you'd use a program for that long. The the transition from like endurance training to strength training, which we covered before for CrossFit, is a good question. I'm glad we covered that because we get that quite a lot. You've really got to make sure you're pushing every single set to like one or two rep, one or two um, reps in reserve to get the most out of this kind of training. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you did want to move to more of an aerobic conditioning kind of program, then we can change that up and make it slightly more optimized for that. But if you're looking at strength and hypertrophy, that's um, that's the biggie, pushing every single working set. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we've got. Nobody's uh, left us any questions on the live feed that I can see. So um, we've had quite a few people say thank you very much to us. So uh, I think we'll um, we'll wrap it up there, Steve, if you don't have anything else to add. Um, but thank you very much for coming along and everybody can see who the... Um, who Steve is now. Evil Steve. Evil <laughs> Steve, as some call Evil me. Evil Steve, as uh, yeah. people know him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thank you very much for your time this evening uh, and coming along. And, um, yeah, thanks a lot, guys, for uh, catching up with us. And we hope we enjoyed that. And we shall speak to you soon. Sweet. Thank you, guys. See you. All right. Cheers.